hey guys, she's probably oozing from places. She's not just going to be putting her panties back on and going out for dinner. Radio Drone. It's a complete cliche that you're here on a Thursday night listening to this show. It would also be a complete cliche if I made Cecil do the Adam and Eve promo. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME to get 50% off a single item, free shipping in the U.S., three free DVDs, and a free mystery gift. And if you get this... For God's sake, someone tell us what the freaking free mystery gift is. Tonight we are going to be talking about cliches. Because movies, as we know, are just, they live and die by cliches. But then no one's really looked into the fact of how they became these cliches and why they did. When Brad and I did the action movies episode, that was one where Alex was sick, so he wasn't there. We did touch upon this, but we only spent about two or three minutes on it, so we're not really treading a lot of the same ground here. What is your definition of the worst cliché, the one that just drives you the most insane when you see it in a film? People running upstairs. Elaborate. Okay, no matter where you are in the house, the killer gets into the house, they always run upstairs. Even if there's a back door, they could go out. No, they go upstairs. They always, they always run upstairs. Why does that bother you so much? Because why the hell would you run upstairs when you're trying to get away from somebody? When the car, when the person goes to get in to start the car and the car won't start, regardless of if it's a brand new car. It's given like, no indication previously in the movie from having any kind of engine trouble. Yeah, it's just all of a sudden it won't start. Like I just saw a movie from not that long ago, I think maybe from like 2008 or nine, called Demonic. This guy drives up in a brand new BMW on a sunny day, gets out of the car, and the killer comes, gets back in the car, and it won't start. <laughs> it, it was infuriating. I just, yeah, that one drives me nuts, and it gets used all the time. I mean, because if they want to put that in there, fine. But yeah, have There needs to be a reason something. for it. Yeah, just not all of a sudden, oh, car didn't work. Oh, cars always run out of gas. Like, nobody ever looks at their gas gauges. It's the ever. same thing with cell phone signals. You always cannot get a cell phone signal. Even if you've been using your cell phone for the previous five minutes, you cannot get a signal when you absolutely need it. But I, I made a list of some cliches. Now, we're kind of all over genres here. One that really gets me is how some of these become cliches. For instance, even though Road Warrior wasn't the first post-apocalypse movie, it was the first one to hit really big. So that somehow became a touchstone, even though that was inspired... George Miller admits it by 1975's A Boy and His Dog. After The Road Warrior, do you notice how every post-nuke or post-societal breakdown movie looks the same? Can a look be cliched? And somehow, why does fetish gear and just gallons and gallons of hair volumizer be the only things that survive the bomb? As you know, uh, I love the post-apocalyptic movies. There's just something about them that I, I just... If, if it's just... 
in the desert and there's a bunch of people with mohawks and and stuff i am all over it patrick swayze cutting dudes heads off and steeled on (laughs) yes classic there, there is that theme of a lot of times uh, they're all fighting over gasoline because that's the thing that everybody needs. And even though everyone's driving cars just everywhere, their gasoline is still rare, you know, but um, it, it's it's funny. Uh, I, I, the, I mean, the main reason for it was simply they took the style and were like, hey, we can crank out these movies on the cheap because they don't require any sets just go somewhere that's dilapidated and or go to a desert and film and just say it's the apocalypse and get a bunch of people wearing ratty clothes and get ratty cars and give them some beat up looking uh, swords and whatnot and you've got yourself a post-apocalyptic movie i think it's more so that kind of became a cliche simply because it was just cheap and easy to do but then why do they all have perfectly styled hair with tons of product in it? Because Road Warrior did. <laughs> I know, but I'm just <laughs> saying, why do all the knockoffs? Shouldn't they all look kind of like cavemen just wearing plaid? Shouldn't they look like a 90s Seattle teenager, really? Well, it was also the 80s, so they still were kind of keeping up with the trends of the style at the time. So, you know, all the girls had the big high teased hair and you know the guys all had the the ripped shirts and yeah they you know it's so much hair product but you couldn't get you know it's hard to get food but you could get hair gel yeah that, that's the thing that always bothered me about that is volumizer and fetish gear are the only things that didn't get nuked apparently but then you've got you've got other ones some of them are just weird story cliches like any kind of natural disaster a nuke or a bomb will fix it asteroid nuke it I saw one, some Kim Delaney TV movie, like Aftershock or something. The tectonic plates needed to be melted back together. That's how they worded it. So they were going to set off nukes that would melt all of the soil back together. And I'm just going, oh my god, how do you fail physics this hard? Well, a good one to kind of go off of that too is natural disasters will only happen during holidays or celebrations. There's always a festival. Yeah, there's always a festival when there's the most people that are going to be around to be affected by this. You've got other ones that are kind of done out of laziness, such as, I mean, we attack George Lucas. Everybody does all the time, but he's admitted this, so I can't I can't say that I'm unfairly attacking the guy. When when he was pointed when it was pointed out to him by Ben Bova and some other writers in the science fiction field about Star Wars and the sound in space thing, because he was patterning it after World War II dogfighting movies, his quote, people expect a boom, I'm giving them a boom. Is that not just kind of saying, I'm no better than this cliche because I want to make money, so the audience wants the cliche, so I give them what they want rather than what they should get? Well, yeah, I kind of agree with Lucas there. I mean, that's why stuff explodes in space, because if you had something explode in space the way it actually would, it would be boring. Oh, so we're back to your whole your whole true story argument that screw, screw reality, it's boring that way. Yes, exactly. If I wanted reality, I'd read a book. I wouldn't watch a movie. It's a tough one because if it's like a dramatic movie or something that happens to be taking place in space and there's an explosion, then in that case, I would be cool with them having it, you know, be a real 
explosion in space, like a vacuum, no noise, uh, that would be more effective. But when you're watching an action movie or a science fiction movie or something, and you have lasers going off and all this stuff, and there's no explosion and no sound, it, it would just kind of come off as weird. It wouldn't, I don't know, it just wouldn't be as effective. It, it may not be physically possible. It doesn't make sense. But when you're watching a movie, you're already kind of suspending your disbelief in that instance. So that's a thing where it's a cliche, but I'm kind of cool with it because it would be weird without it. So are, if I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. What you're saying is you have been conditioned to need the cliche to enjoy the film. Uh, I mean, when you when you put it like that, it makes it sound like it's it's awful. But why well, do you think I worded it like that? I'm, I'm sure I know. That's why you also threw in the I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to put words in your mouth. No, I, I asked you if no, that was fair. I, I know. I'm just messing with you. Yes, because I've seen occasionally a movie where they do it with that, you know, with just the vacuum, you know, the and no explosion, no sound. And it's just it's not as effective. Outland was the one that really cemented it into the public consciousness. That was space and entering a vacuum. You immediately just into your suit and that's it. A minor tear and you just turn into goo inside your helmet. And that's not how it actually works. I'm not trying to say Titan AE is a bastion of scientific reality, but remember the scene where they had to float from the one ship to the other through space? That was how a vacuum actually operates. It's going to be really cold and it's going to hurt, but you can you can be in space for almost two minutes, assuming you can hold your breath that long before you really start to have permanent damage done. But it's not as exciting like that, is it? Well, they did something like that with, if you remember, uh, Mission to Mars, where um, oh, yes, I was so <laughs> product placement, the movie. You know what? I'm uh, drinking a Dr. Pepper right now, and the Dr. Pepper product placement in that movie pisses even me off. The Dr. Pepper product placement in that with that and uh, the M &Ms. Pontiac and M and M's, but but the Dr Pepper was by far the worst product placement I think I've ever seen in any movie. Where they throw it and it goes across the screen in slow motion, it, it was almost a parody of itself. It was so ridiculous. Actually, but, the the worst. Uh, I can't remember the movie off the top of my head. It, you can't do this anymore. This was like 1982, 83. It was Americans trying to overthrow a communist dictatorship. It was a true story. Pepsi paid part of the movie so all of the good guys drank pepsi all of the communists drank coke wow well, yeah because they had red bottles and cans really you're gonna go with that yeah no it was one of those you'd never be able to do that today but basically they were saying pepsi is an american drink commas drink coke well there there was the um the one movie i don't remember what it was i think it was a biker movie that brat did on uh, his show where uh colonel sanders shows up because yes, it was actually colonel sanders it was the actual colonel sanders and he's like yo like my chicken yes <laughs> like, I, oh. I do remember that <laughs> but i mean to be fair product placement is a cliche nowadays as well if a movie has an over 200 million dollar budget it's almost guaranteed there will be product placement in it because you kind of need it when you've got that much money on the line. You can't go solo. I watched Superman 2 yesterday, and the amount of Marlboro product placement in that movie is insane. I can't remember if it's the first or second one, but I know Coke has a lot in one of those as well. Oh, Coke has a lot in two, but Marlboro has more. But product placement's another episode. I don't want to get too much into that tonight. Just one quick one. Did you ever see The Marine? 
it's worth it for Robert Patrick's bad guy because he's awesome, but the rest of the movie is kind of eh. But that one, oh my God, Miller Genuine Draft must have paid so much money for that movie because they're the only beverage that anyone drinks in the entire film is Miller Genuine Draft. But then you you have the the action movie cliches. If you shoot anything, it basically explodes. You've got the the old cliche. This one started in the westerns. If, if you're surrounded and you're in a big gunfight with a bunch of bad guys, if you shoot them, they immediately die no matter where you shoot them. You know how in the West they, they, they would shoot the guy up on the roof and then he'd just, oh, grab his gut, fall over, and he's dead. Yeah, they don't even suffer. They just drop dead. Yeah, the bullet is, is like it's, it's radioactive. It just kills you. Even a good movie, and this is where I want to get into some of the more philosophical angles of this stuff. What happens when a movie was not cliche when it was made, but it gets copied so much so that a modern audience does think it is cliched? For example, To Live and Die in L.A. from 1985. It's about two Secret Service agents, one of whom is three days away from retirement. The other one is a brash young rogue go-getter who who can only play by his own rules. The older partner gets killed tracking down the nemesis he's been chasing for a decade. And then so the young brash partner goes off the range on his own with his new by the book partner to try and stop him. That sounds like every cop cliche ever, except this was the first one to do all of those. So when I showed that to my son 30 years later, he's like, this is so cliched and I'm having to explain, but it wasn't when it was made. That makes sense. All the cliches started somewhere. I mean, that's how they got to be cliches, because they worked in this movie, so let's copy it all the time. What does that say about the the audience, especially a more modern audience who maybe is seeing To Live and Die in L.A. for the first time, and they don't see it as the groundbreaker that it was. They just see it as, oh my god. Well, that just says how significant those cliches were. There was a, a movie, I totally don't remember which one it was, but there was a movie that I reviewed a while ago, and it was an older film from like the 70s. And similar thing, I got a message where somebody was like, oh, I hated this movie, it was so cliche. Same thing, I'm like, when did you see it? And they're like, I just saw it last year. And I'm like, well, this is where all the cliches came from. It's a shame, because a lot of people, they will look at it like that. They'll just be like, oh god, this movie's so full of cliches, not realizing or just being ignorant as far as that this is where all the cliches started. So, I mean, it is a little bit frustrating when you're seeing a movie now and it's an older one and you know, oh, well, this is going to happen. Uh, you know, you can spell out all the different things like To Live and to Die in L.A. where it's still a good movie, but unfortunately it's kind of hampered because it's been copied so much. And uh, The imitators have watered down the original. Yeah, the imitators have watered down and kind of ruined the original in a way. Mike Robinson likes to put it like this. Sometimes it's not always best to be the first. Sometimes it's best to be the best. Yeah, if the cliches work for you and you make a great movie, you barely notice them. But then you've also got something, especially in the, in the, the cop or action genre, that speaks to the, uh, to the movie going public. Before he went insane and became a nutbag right-wing conservative, Dennis Miller had a rant on the criminal justice system, and he pointed out there's a reason in 1971 Dirty Harry was such a hit and that everyone was okay with Clint going off the reservation and violating Scorpio's civil rights to get the bad guy, because you want to see the cop get the bad guy no matter what. But when that happened in Dirty Harry, that was 
really the first time you'd seen that in a mainstream movie. Now that's become the norm. At what point do you think in the cop genre we stopped expecting them to get a warrant and, and they just pull that, I hear ruckus, do you kick the door in kind of thing? Um, I would say probably around the 70s when they just decided audiences liked seeing the cop get the bad guy no matter what, you know, being the badass and whatnot. So they were kind of expecting future cop movies to just have the cop ignore uh, all the regulations and, and whatnot and just or the the ever popular get thrown off the case. And now he can play by his own rules because, you know, he gave in his badge I think that that kind of is when that started, where people wanted to see the cop be the uh, the, the vigilante as opposed to being the law-abiding, you know, by-the-books guy. Do you think that says more about the audience or the, st- or the studios that are making these? Because the studios are making these cliches. I mean, I doubt there's any writers that are writing, say, a 1989 action movie that is just riddled with every cop cliche you can. I don't think they're writing that going, this is really good. I think they're they're writing off of the notes of the studio going, cops got to get the bad guy. He's got to get the girl. He can only do it when he's been kicked off the case, etc. So who is more to blame for that, the audience or the filmmakers? The filmmakers, because using a cliche because you've seen it before is lazy. It, it, it's, it's also robbing safe. yourself. Yeah, but it's robbing yourself of creativity. Yeah, I agree. I think it's probably what happens is there's a lot of scripts that come into Hollywood where they're like, okay, you know, here's a cop movie and they buy the rights to it. And then they look at it and they go, okay, this is great, but now we have to have this, 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 and this. And so they take all the cool stuff that might've made it unique and stand out and then throw in all the cliches because they feel that that's what's safe. And then that's what audiences want. But then what happens when the cliches become such cliches that breaking the cliche becomes the cliche. If the, did, did what I said just make any sense? Yeah. Like you're talking about, I, is this a segue into uh, Scream? Well, no, because Scream is full of cliches. But what Scream ushered in, you had that new subgenre come out of, well, we know all the horror movie cliches of the 80s and really early 90s. So now we're going to do the exact op of the, opposite of that. But in every single film, so this just becomes the new cliche. Although, um, just to mention, there was actually a movie that came out in 1991 called There's Nothing Out There. Uh, it was a little independent film, and it called out so many horror cliches years before Scream did. But, you know, it didn't have the names, it didn't have the budget that Scream did. So, of course, Scream was the one that ended up getting all the acclaim for doing this. Is that even really new when Scream did it? Because... If you look at like the the parody movies, they're calling out the cliches for being what they are. When you've got something like Student Bodies from 81, that even in that relatively early stage of the slasher genre, it was making fun of just how cliched the slasher genre was already becoming. So is that not kind of pulling a scream before a scream? Or when you do it, quote, seriously, like Scream did... Is that somehow better or or truer than when Student Bodies did it? It's it's a weird thing because Student Bodies was done in as a spoof, so it's looked at differently. And uh, there's nothing out there was done 
somewhat seriously, but with a lot of tongue in cheek. And they broke the fourth wall constantly, which made it work really well. It's if you haven't seen it, I highly so recommend Attack it. of the Killer Tomatoes too. Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Yes, but that was another one too, where a spoof it, um, as well. It was a spoof as well, and it was. Uh, it was done to kind of, I mean, it was very self, uh, it made fun of itself a lot. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, but it, I guess it's kind of the thing where Scream, it it showed um, all the cliches, but it did it in a serious fashion. And then all the other movies that came out after that tried to kind of do the whole post-Scream thing where it was like, okay, well, now we're going to come up with our you know new cliches, but point out the cliches. And it's uh, it's it's just it was kind of an odd genre that it created there in the late 90s. Let, let's leave horror behind for right now. What about something like like the, the romantic comedy subgenre? The romantic comedies, they follow every single cliche you can get. I wouldn't even call them a subgenre. That is a genre. All right. Well, they still follow every single cliche you can imagine in those things. The one that gets me the most, and this is not just a romantic comedy thing. This happens in serious TV shows, comedic TV shows, sci-fi TV shows. TV does this more than movies, but the one where the guy or the girl is totally in love with another guy or girl who only sees them as a friend. But the first person is able to see that their unrequited love, their boyfriend slash girlfriend, is a total tool who's cheating on them, but they don't want to seem like they're intruding, so they let that 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 tool continue to go on. And it's, so it's like this unbeknownst to them love triangle. I think that is the bastion of bad writing, and every time I see a really funny TV show come up, as soon as I see that happen, I go, show's dead. Like Breaking In, that Christian Slater Fox series. The show was hilarious, except that was the central plot for every episode. He loves her. She only sees him as a friend. He knows that her boyfriend is an absolute scumbag, and nobody will believe him because he's just in love with her. I don't know about you, but that bothers the hell out of me when I I... see that one, because that is so lazy. It is so... We are not even trying to come up with something new here. I hate love triangles and triangles in general. I hate seeing them all the time. In fact, that's why I couldn't even read all the Hunger Games books. Because I read and enjoyed the first one. But then the second book started off and it was like, well, she's in love with him, but she also loves him. I'm like, I- I'm done. I'm done. I'm not even going to finish this-, this chapter. I'm done. But then I just hate love triangles. It was Twilight all over again at that point. Why do you think the writers keep going to that? There has to be an audience for it. There has to be a reason that they go for that because, and I've, I knew this back when I worked at Channel 26, just overhearing everybody loves the love triangles in these things. They're like, oh, will she ever see that such and such is a tool and get with him? Oh, I'm invested in this. That's because there's drama there. There's, you know, oh, What's going to happen? Suspense. If it's just guy meets girl and guy is in love with girl and girl is in love with guy, that's boring. You need to spice it up with this third party. If you take away the love triangle story, you are going to take away about 90% of the movies that they're running on the Hallmark Channel. It is just this guy, this guy or girl is in love with this person and there's always a tool bag. It's just it's done so much and so to death. And they always eat. They have one of two outcomes. 
either the guy or girl manages to convince or show the other person that their boyfriend is a tool bag and then they fall in love or the person realizes that the the one they've been in love with is really the wrong one and there's another person who has you know been their friend who they end up falling in love with and it's just it's done so much and i'm amazed I understand certain things like there are action movies where you know that the good guy is going to get the bad guy in the end most times. But with that, it's kind of what happens in between. That's really the movie. Whereas with the love triangle movies, they almost hit the same beats with every movie. Oh, well, now the guy does this and it's wacky. And oh, he almost tells him, but no, they get away and something. It's just it's so done to death. And I just, I can't watch those romantic movies. They're just awful. What about a cliche that springs up due to the culture of the time? Such as, it's not so much a cliche anymore, but in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even into the early 80s, especially if you're in an action movie or a sci-fi movie or a horror movie, there's usually the token black guy. He's always the first or second one killed. How often... In the 60s, 70s, or 80s, did the black guy survive the sci-fi or horror movie? And that was due to the real world. The studios were like, you can't let the Negras live. Most of our audience is white. You can't. I mean, if you listen to some commentary tracks from some of the sci-fi movies from the 70s that did that, they were like, no, no, no. We were told we could have a black cast member, but they had to die in the first reel. So do you think that's a cliche? simply because of the culture or just people don't think the black guy can kill the monster i think you were right the first time that that's just the nature of the genre but yeah that's the nature of the genre i think you were right about that uh it's kind of like with um star trek where the red shirt always dies it just kind of became the cliche out of the necessity to write it in where they they were like, okay, well, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and, and Ensign Smith, you will beam down to the planet and see if the salt monster is there. Oh, gee, who got killed? The one not in the opening credits. Yeah, it's just, it, it kind of sprang up from that. It was a necessity thing. Although in recent years, they kind of turned it around where um, a friend of mine, uh, when we, made the sad mistake of going to see I still know what you did last summer in the theater. It's I know because I I enjoyed the first one. Well, you know, it was at the time. You know what? It's still good. I'm not even going to say it was an at the time thing. I still like it. But the second one was so bad and it was so laughable because Brandy at the time was not only a black actress in the movie, but she was like arguably about as popular as Jennifer Love Hewitt. So they couldn't very well kill her character. She was indestructible in that movie. There's a point where she's running away from the bad guy. She jumps, I think, out of like a third story window, smashes through the top of a greenhouse, hits the ground running, like, and has like a scratch. Like, it was hysterical how much they went out of their way to make sure that she didn't get hurt. That also goes more to the action movie thing as well. In the real world, your average guy, unless he's hopped up on PCP or something, one to two punches, you're down. You've got a shattered eye socket. You've got a concussion. You're working on a traumatic brain injury. No, no, no. 
In these movies, you can get thrown out of a window, land on a car, you can get hit by another car, hit over the head with a brick, beat on by seven guys, get stabbed with a sword in the side, and you're still up quipping and kicking the bad guy's ass doing wire work moves. That, to me, is the worst cliche of the action movie. The human body cannot take that much punishment. That's action movie logic. They take place in action universe. Yes, we've discussed that. Or my personal favorite, if the hero headbutts the bad guy, it only Only hurts hurts the the bad bad guy. guy. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever headbutted anybody before. You hurt just as much. It hurts a lot. I don't know if they did this just because it's gross, or if they just don't want to be realistic, but there's nothing to hold your excrement in when you die. I always love how when they find a dead body, especially on like a CSI or something, where they can show a naked butt, everything's clean, just a little bit of blood, going, no, no. You ever been around a dead person? No, no. It's oh, not they're, a they're horrible, thing. man. Yeah, it's not. They, they lose everything at the end, man. It's like they're they're showing, and a lot of times if they're showing like somebody who's naked, it's usually like an attractive, oh, they killed, you know, the, the boss's girlfriend, and she's laying there naked, and you see her ass. I think it would kind of, you know what, they? I would be willing to bet if they were to show the person laying there with just crap coming out of their ass, X, X rating. There's no way they would be able to just get that through. Speaking of that, I also I don't know, Yon Garay to... had a, like, PG rating. Yeah, the monster <laughs> fucking shit itself when it died. Yeah. And that was in the 60s, and that was a kid's movie. Okay, well, that's another thing. It's If it's foreign, that's that kind of takes place in a whole other, you know, realm. But yeah, if, it, if they tried to put that through in the U.S., it, it would, unless it was done in humor, crap will automatically get you, you know, an NC-17 or an X rating. I also love the fact that in movies and TV, now this isn't always the case. No cliche is 100%. You ever notice prostitutes look a lot better than real-life prostitutes? You ever driven down some of the seedier neighborhoods in Milwaukee? You go, yeah! How the hell do you, how the hell do people pay you? Or any major city, really. Exactly. But movie prostitutes? They always look like they just stepped out of a out of a Revlon ad. Yeah, people that are like meth addicts having sex for meth, they they look like that. They they don't look like they do in movies. They look like they've been fucked by drugs. Yeah. Well, back when Saturday Night was funny, they did a spoof on Pretty Woman. Uh, I forgot. John I think... Lovitz was the hooker. No, that actually would have been really good. I don't. I think it was Jan Hooks. They they blacked out her teeth. They made her like they they gave her big bags in her eyes. They messed her hair up. They made her into a freaking meth addict. They made her look and like a real prostitute. They made her look like a real prostitute. And when it was, they were doing the whole thing where he hired her to be his girlfriend. And uh, she's just she's sitting at this this fancy dinner party and she's just shaking and like one of her teeth falls out. And it, it was really funny because it was so like this is a much more accurate depiction than Oh, I'm going to drive down, look for a prostitute, and oh, look, it's Julia Roberts, and it's her first day on the job. You know? <laughs> like, well, and then that Even also... when a prostitute in real life, when, the, when somebody gets to the point where they're selling their body for sex, they've already passed any point of being attractive because of drugs. But then you've also got just the sex in movies. I'm not talking about the actual sex scenes or porno. You'll notice 
every time the the cop will take home the the, the reluctant witness and then they they shag in the god i just went british there and they, they end up screwing in the hotel where he's trying to keep her safe as soon as they're done they just get up and get dressed nobody cleans up nobody wipes down hey guys she's probably oozing from places she's not just going to be putting her panties back on and going out for dinner yeah there's usually nothing... you have to use the bathroom after for various reasons yeah, there's not the awkward, put the hand between the legs and the girl does the awkward crab walk to the bathroom to try to not get anything on the floor. Or you at know? least uh, lay a towel down beforehand, for God's sake. Yeah, oh, you got that in the carpet. Uh, it's a hotel, who cares? Well, yeah, I mean, well, it's a hotel. If you put a black light over that, it probably, the whole room glows anyway. <laughs> it lights up like Christmas. The other thing, too, with sex in movies, and this drives me nuts, is when you have a movie like Knocked Up, where Katherine Heigl had a no nudity clause in her movie and she's having sex with her freaking bra on. That and whenever they're done with sex, they always have those awkwardly cut sheets that cover the woman's chest and only cover the man's crotch. But you can always <laughs> see his chest. And I'm like, do they actually, ma- I mean, I mean, in movie making, do they manufacture sheets like that that productions can use? Or do you have to cut those yourself? Yeah, that that's so bad. I even in movies where you'll see the actress completely naked during the whole sex act, and then at the end, like you said, they're laying there in bed, and for some reason now she's covered up. Or the fact that movie sex is always enjoyable, no matter what, and they always have simultaneous orgasms, especially if it's their first time sleeping together. Like there was this movie I saw where it was it was Angel Eyes and Jennifer Lopez is having oh, sex with like awful. with like homeless Jim Caviezel and it's like this beautiful passionate sex I'm like no nobody neither of them would be enjoying that. Well, especially if he's a homeless guy who hasn't done it in a while, it wouldn't last that long either. And they're doing it on a lakeside and it's all pretty. Uh... Yeah, the guy never like prematurely ejaculates. Like he he always goes for exactly as long as the woman needs him to. On NYPD Blue, they actually dealt with that. When Sipowitz was in his alcoholic recovery when he first started dating Sylvia, when they had their first sex, I haven't had sex sober in 20 years. If I can't keep up my end of the deal, what does that mean? And she's like, you'll be fine. That That's, that's realistic. That's in TV where you can go a season with a story arc of sexual dysfunction. In movies, you, you can't have it. They meet, they f*** okay on with the story. Yeah, there's that. But let's go back to action movies for a little bit. One of the things that bothers me so much is just how quickly the audience will accept the completely insane. Say you've got a relatively realistic thriller up to up to the halfway point. Then at the halfway point, the cop, he makes this one giant leap in logic that there's no basis for whatsoever of who the killer really is and why they're really killing. Nine times out of ten, he's right. It's not the way real investigations work. No, no, no. I just put this together from random clues because the script told me he's the killer. Or, especially in sci-fi movies, that one in a million, we need 47 different things to all go right simultaneously for this to work, but it's our only chance, let's try it. It works every time! Or the, the police are all standing there and they're looking at the wall of evidence and the, everybody leaves, and there's the one cop that's like, oh, i got to figure this out. And he slams his fist down, and like one 
newspaper clipping or something falls off and lands in front of him and he looks and he starts to read it's it the and then one it, missing clue. it's the one oh my god and it's clear all of a sudden he knows exactly who the killer is or as soon as they turn the tv on the news is just talking about the thing that they need to find out about as soon as they turned it on and they were already on the right channel and then they just turn it off as soon as they're done now i know that mendoza has been released from jail or when, somebody, so. or when somebody is calls and says, oh, you got to watch what's on Channel 13 right now. And then they turn to that channel and it's the start of the news report that somebody said that they were watching at that moment. I, I like when they don't do this, when they specifically play against this. But if you're defusing a bomb, you might as well not even try to defuse it until it gets to the two second mark, because that's when it's going to stop. Galaxy Quest brilliantly parodied that. Or if you get to a point where, let's say, you've got an overconfident bomb, you know, bomb squad guy. And He's he'll dead. come up. Well, no, no, no. He'll come up and he'll be like, oh, well, we've got three minutes. And he'll clip the red wire. And then all of a sudden, the timer will start clicking faster. Faster, yes. <laughs> And then he's, oh, 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 and then he has to figure out which is the right wire to click. And then a lot of times they'll do the, you know, clicks it at one or two seconds before it blows up. Getting hit on the head in a movie is just amnesia. As I was saying before, you don't have skull fractures. You don't have concussions. You don't have brain injuries. It's just you go to sleep and you wake up with a minor headache. And that's it. And then usually if you have uh, amnesia from a head injury, another head injury will fix it. One of the ones I like the most is how in an action movie, and this was a Seagal staple, you're surrounded by guys, and they're so nice. They all attack you one at a time instead of swarming you. Isn't that nice of the villains? Yeah, they don't gang pile you. They just come at you one at a time, giving you plenty of time to fight them off. Yeah, and that, if that's you, so if you polite. Have a gun, and if you have a gun in close quarters, they will not shoot you. That gun is only a blunt instrument to give you amnesia. And this was a Seagal popular one, too, where if the villain has a catchphrase at the end of the movie, he'll when the hero kills a little bit, yep, he'll be able to, to twist it around. You know, you can take that to the bank. Yeah, the blood bank. This is not new, but for whatever reason, almost every new science fiction film has one of these. Apparently in the future, the only entertainment we're allowed are games of death. Well, I would say that's pretty accurate. It's not too long before reality TV deals in death, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't think that the Hunger Games is really all that unrealistic anymore? Yeah, man. The Running Man, that could that, that's probably this fall. <laughs> yeah, another few years of freaking reality TV, and it, it's going to happen. The Condemned, the Running Man, yeah, the Hunger Games, yeah, any of that stuff. The, the hero, the cop, the FBI agent, whatever he was, would always have some specific interest that would come into play at the end. Oh, you know, all of a sudden he'd be a knitting enthusiast, and then he'd come across, you know, trying to figure out which one of the people in the crowd is the villain, and he would notice the uneven knits or something like that. You always had this oddly specific passion of the good guy that would somehow come into play. Because it was never just, we can use this to enrich the character. It was, no, 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 this is a plot point, even though it's a really awkwardly timed one. One movie I can think of where they didn't do that was I, I Come in Peace slash Dark Angel. Remember Dolph Lundgren in that is a classical music enthusiast? All that's ever used for is character development. Imagine that, right? Yeah, 
And that's one of the reasons why the movie's freaking awesome. Yeah, but I mean, but knowing the cliches, you expected that to somehow come into play later, didn't you? Oh, yeah. But I mean, it was amazing. Character development, an action movie with Dolph Lundgren. Oh, my. Yes. And Brian Benben. And Brian Benben. Yeah. I mean, you've also got something in the new thriller genre that we have with the new serial killer movies that have been so popular since the late 90s. For whatever reason, the studios want, in most cases, they don't want us as the audience to know who the villain is or how they're connected to the bad guy or to the good guy. So the good guys are interviewing, you know, 12 different suspects. It's usually the first suspect and the one that seems the most unlikely to be the killer is the killer. So that has become the new cliche. The one who clearly is the killer, he's just an innocent bystander or a patsy and the one who clearly is not the killer oh he's really the mastermind behind this now this one i thought was done well in this in the particular case i'm going to bring up but sometimes it's not either of you seen the movie below the submarine one yeah the haunted sub the movie below from wait wasn't that with johnny depp and about cocaine that's below (laughs) this is below at at one point in the movie and i thought this was really witty because at the time This was right after The Sixth Sense came out, and you know how every movie that dealt with the supernatural had to have a plot twist. There had to be some da-da-da used at the end. And in this one, halfway through the movie, the guys are all sitting around going, well, maybe we died in the explosion, and what we're seeing as ghosts are our rescuers trying to come to us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe we got sucked into a time portal. Or maybe we got knocked into another dimension. The characters, all being comic book fans, on this World War II submarine are spitballing all of the possible twist endings to the movie. I thought that was really witty. Or is that now the new cliche? Well, no, it was it was a David Toohey movie. So, I mean, he is notorious for doing really, really out-of-the-box kind of movie moments like that. So that's one where I would say it goes up against the cliches because they're just, you know, kind of being... Uh, showing a little bit of ingenuity and doing things differently and really making the uh, audience question what they're seeing instead of just movie goes along, all of a sudden there's a twist ending. But doesn't that then speak to the audience itself, considering that movie was a massive flop and only made back 10% of its budget in its theatrical run? In the in the Scream mold, and, and I mean, Scream didn't necessarily do it like this, but the whole something weird is going on the characters in the movie start pointing out what all the possible twist endings can be. That has almost become a cliche because I've seen that done in many films now. E- even Shyamalan, when he started being known for the, the twist endings, whether they made sense or not, he started doing that with basically telling you it's not going to end how it looks like it's going to end because you think it's going to end like that, so I specifically won't end it like that. Uh, it's it's kind of weird uh, because they, they want to... With with writing, they want to trick people, and it is kind of odd when... I mean, one of the reasons why Sixth Sense worked so well is because people weren't expecting it. But now, with certain certain films, and M. Night has... I haven't seen After Earth yet, but... He oh, it's did, worse than you hear. I know. I, I'm going to see it eventually, but... I, and that's one where I really feel bad, because I genuinely think that M. Night is is a great director, but he's kind of gotten... All right, people, you, you heard it right here. This is Cecil's final show. <laughs> <laughs> I will argue to, I will argue anybody about this, but not right now, because that's a whole other subject. 
it it kind of became a thing where people were like, oh, every M Night movie uh, has has a twist ending, and because I, all of his early ones did. Because no, they did. That, that sort of became his thing. I mean, Signs did, Unbreakable did, Sixth Sense did, The Village did. It, I mean, it. it no, it. He, he became he became known as what a twist. I went into uh, I went into this with my happening review and like audiences kind of expected it and then because they expected it it kind of takes away from the twist when it happens because people are looking for it it's kind of like the same way of when you tell somebody like that there's a twist ending that's the same thing as telling them what the ending is because you know that spoils the movie for the person not not necessarily for me totally because as soon as i know that there's a twist ending all i do is watch the movie and look for things because that I, it's just the way my brain works and then it ends up ruining the movie for me okay look at look at someone like rod serling who is known for legitimately witty twists that you don't even notice are being built up to until they happen look at look at the planet of the apes from 1968 even with rod serling's name on it as screenwriter people were still surprised it has a twist ending rod serling wrote it you expected him not to what what about one of the some of the more marketing cliches that we have, such as we're not going to go into the poster thing that you did, but such as putting the plot twist in the trailer, but not making it seem like that was the plot twist. So when it happens, you still go, oh, that's the twist that was in yeah, the damn trailer. You, you think it's the premise of the movie? Yeah, and it's actually the 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 twist ending because they've oh. been doing that a lot lately. Or I got one for you, Quarantine, which was the remake of Wreck. The the goddamn the last goddamn, shot of the movie being the poster. Goddamn last, yeah. Oh, that was infuriating. Because thankfully I had already seen Wreck, and it's vastly superior. But yeah, in the trailer and the goddamn poster is the final frames of the film. That is infuriating. The one the one I'm thinking is What Lies Beneath. When I went to see that in the theater, I kept. And I'm watching the movie specifically going, this can't be the plot twist that Harrison Ford is really, he really did kill her and that it's the ghost of his lover because that's all the trailer is. But the movie treats it like a dun, dun, dun. I can't imagine how much that must piss off all the people that worked on the film that are like, we've got a really good movie here and it's got a a twist in it that's going to completely surprise people. Oh, the trailer just gave the whole goddamn movie away. Like, listen, to, listen to Leonard Nimoy's commentary on Star Trek Three. He wanted the Enterprise blowing up to be a plot twist. Paramount's marketing department said, no, no, no. It's in the trailers. It's in all the TV spots. We're even putting it on the poster that the Enterprise blows up. And he was just like, ah! Ugh, that isn't, that's horrible. They're like, no, no, no. We sell the movie on Enterprise Go Boom. Yeah, that's just well, that just goes into I mean, we could probably do a whole other episode about all the dumb things that marketing did and how trailers are just doing nothing but ruining movies anymore. What is your final thoughts on cliches in movies in general? Do you think that they aid the movie going experience that you go into a movie knowing that these cliches exist and then therefore you kind of know where the movie's going, even if the details are different? You, you, it's like a safe environment, a comfort movie. Do you think they add or subtract from your movie-going experience? It really 
depends on the movie and the situation. Like, there's some cliches that you accept regardless, like guns not running out of ammo or guns not having recoil, because having that realism would pull you out of the excitement of the scene. But then again, having the same plot elements, that gets annoying. I'm with Alex on this one. I think that it's kind of a case-by-case basis. Certain things I'm willing to kind of overlook, um, little things, you know, things here and there, uh, guns not running out of ammo, the the guns running out of ammo at just the right moment or something. But when you're taking giant chunks that have just been done in every single movie, like we were talking about the romantic movies, where it's basically, you know, the whole movie going in because the whole thing is a cliche, then that's lazy. But little elements here and there, it's not as big of a deal. And I wouldn't say it's kind of makes it for a safe environment, but it's just one of those things where it does work. And if it's the right kind of movie, if it's just kind of a dumb action movie or something, I'm more willing to overlook it than if something is supposed to be serious and then they put in these cliches that have just been done to death. I don't like the cliches, but then at the same time, I don't know if not liking the cliches is a cliche. Because when when you come across a, a movie like, say, John Dies at the End, you start watching that movie, and it is so unpredictable in a good way. That's one of the few movies where you go, I really have no idea where this movie is going, and I have not said that about a film in a long time. You have no clue where, it, even, like, everything is just, holy crap, I did not think this was going to happen. Seriously, the plot twist in that movie, spoilers, the the dog being the savior of humanity, I couldn't have ever seen that coming. Not even, and the thing is, even even with that spoiler, it's still not really that much of a spoiler because the whole rest of the movie, you still have no idea what's going to happen. That and, and they didn't hide it from you. You just didn't notice it. Kind of like in Fight Club, how Jack and Tyler are the same person. It's not hidden from you. In fact, they constantly are giving you clues to it, but you don't notice it the first time. That, to me, is how you, you use a cliche and you do it right. What happened to John dies at the end? No at the promotions whatsoever because they had zero idea how to market a movie that was so far out of everyone's comfort zone. And yet, I mean, it's become a cult hit because, you know, people like me and you have have gone on and were preaching the the good word about it. And Alex used to before he became a sellout. Ah, boo, Alex. I still think it's a great movie. What do you mean? You know, you go in and you're like, oh, like the, the praise for a movie will kind of set you up for a letdown. But then you watch it and you're like, oh, my God, this deserves every bit of praise it gets. I know it's a cliche, but where can we find Cecil? You can find me at goodbadflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. What about Alex, the Marquis de Suede himself, Jowski? At geekjuicemedia.com. And myself, geekjuicemedia.com, 1201beyond.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try to be a little bit original, guys.
is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.